Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and digital production. Our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today, the folks from Ross are going to be here. They're going to be talking about Dashboard. Really excited to have them on, so stay tuned for that. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Mitch, what do we have? Alex, our first question is in from me. I don't know why I got to be the first, but here I am. Our road has just released the fifth generation NT1. It's a hybrid analog digital condenser mic that could be an MV7 killer. Let's see. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, basically, I saw this come across my desk yesterday. And of course, I kind of tend to compare them uh, as they come into the MVC or MV7, the venerable Shure microphone. This is a very interesting uh, uh, mic setup from Rode. has one big flaw, but I'll get to that in just a second. Um, it is a condenser mic. It is a XLR and USB. It has built-in DSP, and it has AFEX processing uh, built into the microphone. And that's the somehow. defect? Is that the defect? Uh, no, I'm moving on to the, the real defect. But yeah, I may, maybe it sounds great. The only thing is I haven't heard it. I can't judge it. But an interesting cardioid uh, condenser, large frame, uh, large format condenser, uh, is sort of might be a deal buster in the same price range as the MV7. Here's the problem. The XLR connector has the USB connector built into it. So you can't what? use them both at the same time. Just stupid. Oh, well, I, I yeah, I don't know if I, I've never done that before. So I guess that that's possible to do both of them at the same time. But I've just never used a USB or XLR at the same time ever. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if it, I don't know how big of a deal breaker that is. But it, it looks like an interesting mic, Courtney. Uh, they did that for a reason, Mitch, because... Over the XLR, it's got to require phantom power to power the condenser segments, which is 48 volts, and USB is 5 volts. And you don't want to mix those two power supplies together in the same microphone at the same time. I, so that's why they, that's why you haven't seen one before that had uh, both that are usable at the same time because you don't want to mix those, all the other, all the others. Kazuntite, uh, Kazuntite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, all the others, like the Shures, are dynamic microphones, not condensers. You know. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, it's nothing to sneeze over. Um, so I, it would be interesting to see if anybody would try to make a cable that's an XLR USB cable. But uh, as Courtney said, if it doesn't have enough power, I don't know if if you'll be able to do that anyway. Um, and as it being a killer for the MV7, I don't know. I mean, this is a dynamic microphone. They're, they're, they're different. Mitchell. Yeah, I was thinking it might be, uh, might be bulletproof. I, I tend to lean towards the dynamic, particularly if you're going to send it out to places. Condensers are a little more sensitive, but uh, ultimately it comes down to how's sound and none of us have heard it. So we can't really judge. Yeah. Uh, how much, what's the price point on it? Two forty-five. Okay, so they, they really aimed right at it. I mean, the main thing also when you're sending them out, if you're using them for yourself, it's one thing. If you're sending them out, a lot of times you have to worry about, you know, how roomy is a is a room, you know, and, and how much of the echo you're going to pick up uh, and so on and so forth, where a dynamic mic, mic will get rid of a lot of that. A larger diaphragm won't. So it'll be interesting to see once we get our hands on one. Um, next question. Tom Ferguson from Phoenix, Arizona, and right here on our panel. Aaron Parecki in his six-minute clip has a clever way of implementing video follow audio on an ATEM with MixEffect Pro. Let's discuss. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Tom. Well, he did a three-camera shoot, and he used two mics for switching, and the two mics I'm talking about are not even in the audio chain. 
So he's found a way to do the three camera shoot using rules in MixFX Pro for the switching. I just thought it was very clever implementation. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, it is. It is super cool. In fact, it's uh, supported in their companion uh, module for Stream Deck. You can turn it on and off. Uh, but the, the the significant thing that he's done is that most people would uh, give up after being able to switch between two cameras. This can do a uh, two shot, um, and he has certain rules that allows that to happen. So the idea that you can have three cameras, uh, one in each person, and then a two shot, and have it automatically switch—that's amazing. Go ahead, John. Hey, Alex, on, on MacBreak Weekly, do they do audio follows video? Because those switches are super fast. And then I know the lower third goes with it on the switch as well. Yeah, so the lower third is attached to the to that input um, in, in the TriCaster. The, uh, it is not, it's switched by hand. It's just them paying attention. I don't think there's any audio follows video there, um, which, you know, I think that um, the hard part, you can, you can build a serviceable show with audio follows video. Um, but it's harder to build a great show without, because a lot of times you're looking for reaction shots, you're hanging on the wide longer, you're making a bunch of creative decisions. Now, I do think that it's it's great if you don't have someone else to help you and you need to cut, cut a show and you need to go out. I think that it's a great thing to go in between. So people doing kind of uh, one person band kind of things, I think that that makes sense. And we've built them. Uh, we built them for Hangouts where it was in the software, where it would just do the same thing that he that he's showing there. Um, there were a couple things that we did that were a little different. For instance, we could soft select certain people. So these two people are going to talk. I'm never going to cut to these people until, you know, so we could do that. Um, we also could set that that two shot to a timer. So just go back to it every two or three seconds or every 10 seconds or 20 seconds. It would just come back to it. That was a lot easier than trying to build rules about when it should when it should actually happen. The other thing we did is be able to have a selection set where you could just hit a button and it would basically do what, I guess what would be like a macro with an ATEM, where it basically would turn off turn off the auto switching, cut to something, and we hit the button again, it would cut away from that and turn the auto switching back on again. So it, would, it was kind of keeping track of that. And so you could do that a little bit more. Um, I will say that you do get effects with an audio follows video that is different than a human. And sometimes it's better, but not always. Uh, go ahead, Chris. As a director, to me, the holy grail in the example you're giving where you have two singles and then the two shot is can you uh, listen to a person wrapping up their response and about a prepositional phrase or maybe a sentence before they're done, can you cut to the two shot in anticipation of the host jumping back in? The L cut. You'll never get a computer to do that ever never is a big word never i, I think that never is a big word i, I think that there's I, I will use the word prove me wrong the other two I'm predictions i never, have made in never my career is a very long time the, the other two predictions i've made in my career are that digital photography will never be a thing and QuickTime is a joke and will never be real <laughs> yeah you, we should I do another one we should do another one with where you're you've seen the, the larry david uh the FTX ad, the the incredibly ironic FTX ad, the two and a half minute version. Watch the two and a half minute version. My favorite, uh, my favorite Super Bowl ad ever made. And he's like, eh, I don't think this. He's like the wheel, and he's like, eh, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> Go ahead, Mitchell. I think it would be uh, interesting to use it to at least get a rough cut because if you've got a Zoom ISO, uh, or excuse me, uh, ATEM uh, ISO, uh, you could uh, come back to resolve later. And because the handles are there, you could say, Well, right. I don't like that. I need that preposition or that pause <laughs> or whatever. 
Chris can correct me, but most editors would prefer not to have a rough cut. <laughs> like they'd rather watch it and cut it than than to go through it and fix all the the edits. I don't that's know. A, that's a really that's a super interesting discussion. Yeah. It. it it's a super interesting discussion. I think that if you get to call the show yourself and then polish it, yeah. maybe. But I will say that when I am given, actually, I did this uh, for something for you once, Alex, where you gave me a bunch of stuff and said, yeah, we're just going to cut it off of the program feed. And you're like, and I was like, mm, yeah. no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> and so I took all, the, I think it was like eight cameras or something you gave me. Yeah. And yeah. I synced them all with the program feed. Right. And I don't know if I use the program feed at, at all. all in the final thing that I gave you. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Good, Courtney. Uh, just to correct things, uh, you've been referring to it as audio follows video. It's really video follows audio is what you're, right. you're talking about because audio follows video is just a button right on your right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, you yeah. Can hit it. <laughs> it's video follows audio. Follows thank, audio. You for, thank you for correcting us. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael's here with a question. I've been starting to use Mission Control with the three-finger swipe to activate it, and it's been convenient with Stage Manager and Split View for making laptop screens feel less cramped. Has anyone else used it to streamline mobile workflows? Go ahead, Jason. You know, I tried, and I find it more annoying than useful. Um, maybe I'm just too used to the keystrokes, but, um, you know, my parents love it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, 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 I did try it as well and did not, it did, it just didn't, I think it, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's been one of those things that almost everybody with stage manager has, I mean, I turn almost all those things off. I don't want my computer to do a lot of things. Like, I just like, I just need you to do what I ask you to do. I don't want you, don't get, don't get fancy, you know? And so it may be our personalities <laughs> that just want to do the thing more mechanically. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, let's just assume maybe some people don't know what these are. What are mission control and stage manager? For the uninitiated yeah so so these are all the you, you have a lot of controls where you can especially on a trackpad you can have things where if i go like this on a trackpad it'll like show my desktop or if i pull back in it'll pull it back in i if i you know there's gestures that i can do to, to go into different spaces to activate you know so mission control is like apple's ability to use all these gestures to get you know lots of screen movement around and and again it, what i usually find is that it happens often enough when i don't want it to that I, you know, that I don't want it to do it at all, which is almost any time. Anytime it does something that I don't, I don't, I didn't expect. I'm usually, I don't usually receive that well. So, so I think that um, that's the that's usually where I turn. I I literally I like spaces makes me crazy. Some people love spaces. I hate them with a passion. And every time I get into a space by accident, like I forgot to, you know, and I'm like, what the what? And then you can't get it off, and it keeps on wanting to go back to it. And you're just like, I did not ask for this. <laughs> like I do not, I do not want some other space. Go ahead, Chris. For, for those that don't know, Alex is very surprise adverse. It's like, oh, what's that? <laughs> he doesn't ever want that to happen. <laughs> just like I did not ask. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I am surprise adverse. Uh, next question. Morgan Price, Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Ask, how can you get HDMI out of a Mac Mini running a Mac OS Ventura at a frame rate of 29.97? Now, go ahead, uh, Jason. Um, well, there are a few ways to do it. Um, SwitchRes X, which I just put a link in Mukana for, will do this. I wouldn't use it in um, production. I think your best bet is a decimator if you, if you really need it to work. Yeah, there, there is a... Um, in the past, we were able to... Let's see if I can do this. Yeah, it seems to be stuck now. There, in the past, if you held down when you went to the refresh rate, and you um, when you went to the refresh rate, if you held down the 
option, uh, if you held down the option key, I believe it was option or command, um, you were able to just select um, a fractional rate. Um, and I can't do it in Ventura. That might be why this question is here. Go ahead, Courtney. Don't know for sure, but if you have it plugged into a, uh, a converter, if you're going, it depends on whether you're coming out of the um, lightning or the uh, mini display port into the to HDMI through an adapter, but you should plug it into an old TV set or just a TV set that has an HDMI input and the EDID should cause it to change refresh rates to match the TV set. It might get it to 29.97 or 59.94 of the two. Yeah, we've always had a little bit of trouble with this and the only way we could really get it to do what we were trying to get it to do, it would go to the right resolution, but the frame rate oftentimes was a, a little bit more of a challenge. And if you didn't do this kind of option select, um, and a, but I haven't done it for a couple of years, needed to, because a lot of times I just plug it into the ATEM and it works or plugs it into whatever. And so I haven't um, really thought about it as much. Um, but I think that, uh, yeah, it used to be something that you could, you'd go into scaling. And the problem is I have so many monitors connected. I think that might also be the problem. But what you can do is instead of setting the default, you can hit scaling in the older display before Ventura and hold down, I think it's the option key when you select the refresh rate and you would see fractional numbers there. So you'd be able to 29.97 and 59.94 and 48.75 or, or something like that. So those those were the ones that, I, that, that were there. Yeah, next question. From Clive Kitchener in Sook, British Columbia, Canada. What's your regime, regime for dealing with cookies? Between the sites listed in Mukana and Discord, or just mentioned here and on After Hours, the cookie jar is overflowing. You go in and clean them out or just don't care? You know, I I find that that turning cookie cook, cookies off tends to make things not run very well. So um I don't I don't necessarily I turn all the cookies off that I can when I go to a site. So it says, How do you want to handle these cookies? And I'm like, Oh, just turn off the I mean, I think that with within Mukana and within our, our web page, we use the minimum number of cookies necessary. So there's nothing going on in ours because I'm very cookie adverse. So I don't, you have to have some cookies or we can't remember that you're there. Um, you know, and we can't keep, you know, that, that would take away your experience, but we don't do any cookies that are like following you around like a, like a Google pixel or something like that. And so that's what everybody wants to put on your, in your computer is cookies that allow them to track you from site to site. That's a really, um, so like, for instance, if you, if you have a, I mean, just to give you a back end of why some of these cookies exist is some of them are nefarious, some of them are nefarious and some of them are just, you know, in an advertising world, operational. So for instance, Google AdWords, when you bid on a Google AdWord and what you pay for it is not just, it just isn't just like sign space that you pay $30 for or $3 for or whatever. It, the way it works is that it, it tracks your effectiveness of like, did they actually do something with that? So it tracks, they clicked on it and how deep into the site that, that did they go? Did they actually order um, that kind of thing. And if you're more effective, they will lower the price that you pay for your ad. <laughs> like literally, because Google wants it to be as effective as possible to, you know, because they want good ads at the top. So if you have something that isn't going anywhere or you don't track it at all, your ads will be more expensive with Google. They'll let you do it, but you have to pay a lot more to put up an ineffective ad. So people who are really into Google AdWords will get really good and they want these Google pixels that are following around. Facebook, same, same kind of, Facebook's a little different. They want to, add to their knowledge of what you like uh, so that their, their ads are more accurate. And so so all of these things, I mean, people put these little Facebook pixels and Google pixels and cookies and all kinds of other things. And you can turn the, a lot of that off 
um, by by doing that. But you know, it wants you to kind of check through that. So that's why a lot of that stuff is there. We don't put any of that stuff on. We just put operational cookies on. Do I delete them? Pro- not very often because it manually would take too long. And if I delete them all, I suddenly have to log into everything all over again, which would be a pain. Um, go ahead, Chris. There's a couple things. One, uh, I don't know that anybody has compiled a great um, case study of it, but what you're talking about is uh, the effectiveness of ads. Uh, one of the candidates in 2016 won because of ad buying strategy. Um, I know that that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Also, um, I just wonder if the person who coined the term cookies laughs every time they hear people talk about them. Like, where did that word come from? <laughs> like a little cookie. Here, have a cookie. I think that's, that, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I think that it, I will say that, that ads, I mean, these tools, that they're getting less effective because of what Apple's doing and other people are doing um, to, to close them off. But they're super effective. Like when you when you take the when you see what it looks like for ad ads for Facebook or or for Google, they are the amount of money you spend for the return if you do it well is you know a lot of times you're in meetings people talk about what's your multiplier. It took me a long time to figure out what what that meant. They say, oh, I got I'm doing like a five six or a, I'm doing an eight or sometimes they go, oh, I'm only doing a three and then and people are like, oh, three, that's rough. The multiplier was how much money they got out for the money they put in. Like and it took me a little while because people just randomly just say, "What's your multiplier?" And because that was the first thing they'd ask, I'm like, "What's your multiplier?" Oh, that's a I got a three. Oh, we'll work on that. I mean, you know, that's 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 unacceptably low. Eight and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, it looks that's, that's that sounds really that sounds good." You know, like it's just it's it's a uh, when you're selling things, it's it you know the they're very very effective. <laughs> you know, that's why that's why these companies got so big. Um, yeah, go ahead, Tom. I just wondered if our overseas friends refer to them as biscuits. <laughs> there you go. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, to Chris's question, I think that uh, refers to something small, tasty, and leaves crumbs behind. Yeah, there you go, the crumbs. It's all about the crumbs. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Uh, no, a cookie from comes from magic cookie um, that comes from fortune cookie, which is uh, the idea is a small, sweet thing with a little message inside. That's oh. the origin. <laughs> go ahead, John. Cookies were invented by Netscape, so a hundred years ago, nineteen ninety four, I think something in that range. <laughs> That's good. All right, next question from Morgan Price in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Office Hours uses DeckLink cards and Sonic boxes, but I do not hear much about Ultra Studios, the little three G or the HD Minis, or a little less expensive, especially for a Mac owner without slots. Is there a reason not to use these? Go ahead, Mitchell. The only thing I noticed is uh, what Alex brought up is that Sonnet makes a really cool one-unit uh, M1 um, uh, Mac Mini with the uh, uh, the Decklink card in it. And I don't think the Ultra is good for that or a two-unit because it sticks up above the top. Go, Jason. Might be the reason. So for a single one of these, um, you're probably just fine. The real problem is when you actually get into like the logistics of having to address four at a time, um, they get really odd. So uh, along those lines, yeah, you, you can get away with one or two, but you really don't want to have to address a lot. Next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asking, how would you use Dante PTP? I have to admit that I haven't had to 
use Dante P2P. <laughs> so, so I think that uh, I don't know how I would use it. I usually would ask, um, I would ask uh, Brian or, or someone else to, to figure that out. So um, I think try, try asking that tomorrow and we'll see if any of our audio folks um, have an answer of how they would use P2P and we'll, we'll go from there or, or ask it again tomorrow and we'll see what we can do there. We don't usually try to pass that off, but I think that one's vertical enough that we would probably need our audio team to, to answer that. Next question. Next one from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. It's hard to count all the chat GPT and AI get rich and out of videos on YouTube. Have you found any great sources of info that aren't just hustles and what areas is AI excelling the most? Go ahead, John. I, I get the same thing. I'm getting tons of this stuff. And what, what's happening is it's going to morph. It's going to be ubiquitous. It's going to disappear. AI is going to disappear into all the applications we use on a, on a daily basis. So I can't wait for Adobe to integrate it into Photoshop in multiple layers so that I can go in and edit the stuff we get out of Midjourney. Hopefully they buy Midjourney and then create layers into Photoshop. That would be great. I don't know if they can afford Midjourney at this point. At 8 million you know, users and number of paid, I think that the, I bet you the the value of Midjourney, I think now is already at 10 billion um, you know, in the, with the last investment from uh, from Microsoft, and it's just going to keep going. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. So, Paul, you haven't asked ChatGPT how to get rich on the on this on your site. Uh, my suggestion is to actually just uh, ask for uh, do a different type of search. So, uh, for ChatGPT, I like to search on commands or how how I how you use uh, commands to to cultivate whatever, whatever you're going to say on chat GPT or Midjourney. I've been going through a lot of commands on Midjourney to make things, you know, finding out about foregrounds and backgrounds and, and priorities. Uh, those, are the, those are the things that you really want to do. So, you, yeah, you can create a list so you can, uh, you can cultivate your answers or your questions a lot easier. Yeah, I think that um, I have found it to be extremely powerful for doing <laughs> keynote documents. I, I'm getting very good at, at over, I, I did say earlier that you should say flat white background, but I get too many cups of coffee. Um, so, uh, so cup, you, you, yeah, if you say flat white, uh, it doesn't mean anything to most Americans, but if you're in Australia or, 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 or you, the UK, it does. And so you'll get these, this thing over a flat white background and you'll end up with a coffee cup somewhere. Like some, I was like, why is everybody drinking coffee? Like everywhere I go, people are drinking coffee. Um, you know, and so, uh, so anyways, so the flat white, but plain white background works really well. And so a lot of times what I do is I have, I want this thing in front of a plain white background um, and, or over plain white background is like my last term. And I get all the stuff that I can just cut out and put into my, my documents. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. I, I have, I have, I'm working on a big, a big keynote document right now. And I've just, I don't know if I've ever had so much fun building a document because I'm not sitting there trying to dig through iStock photo. I'm just sitting there just giving it a couple terms and then finding something. And most of them are, the other thing that I've really started to enjoy is in the style of Pixar or as a Pixar character. So I want this to do it in the style of Pixar. And then I get in the style of Pixar over white and you get this unique, like a person doing the thing, you know, and it's, it's just a lot of fun. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Do they have a room full of people that fix uh, exceptions? Because, you know, something that big and that popular has to have certain unexpected uh, re results and they have to sort of patch it. 
yeah, it has lots of results and you can patch it. Just, just go into Photoshop. You know, I don't know if they've had, they have a big room that does that. I think that, you know, the, the computer just pushes stuff out and it has too many fingers, sometimes m multiple pupils. Um, you know, <laughs> it has trouble with glasses, although it's getting better at glasses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I think the tensor model does use uh, human reinforcement and correction. It uses a reward and punishment uh, to uh, make its choices and get better and learn. Uh, never want to have uh, mid-journey or dolly design gloves for you because it would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think I figured out. I think I figured out what causes that problem uh, with hands uh, with too many fingers is because of the confusion. Remember, it's a text token-based to image-based uh, uh, model. So it uses text tokens or labels for things. And you think of your hand, your hand is referred to as having five fingers a lot of the time, but you really only have four fingers and a thumb. The thumb is both the finger and the thumb. So, you know, high five, give me five, five-finger discount. So those things that, uh, when it says sees hand, when it comes to drawing a hand, it goes, okay, five fingers. And so it draws five fingers and then the thumb. So it always <laughs> adds six fingers total it, or five fingers and a thumb. If it only did six fingers, I'd be super, I'd be super happy. If there wasn't one growing <laughs> out of not, the middle of your palm, the it's, opposite it's, direction. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I have, you know, sometimes it's 12 fingers. Sometimes it's two layers of fingers. Like it'll have fingers under fingers. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's it's all over the place. So, yeah, I think that... Um, it, the other thing that that I will say that uh, ChatGPT, a lot of coders I know are using it to just get ideas for what they're doing. They're they're not trying to, um, they're not trying to actually do. They they say rarely does it give you the code that is perfectly clean, but if you know what you're looking at, if you know what you're doing, um, that oftentimes it'll pop up and and um, uh, it'll it'll pop you up something. Oh, that's good, and it's generally very clean. It just makes a couple errors, and they fix those, and then and they said it's saving them a lot of time. You know, like it's it's not like a minor amount of time. Uh, I have there's some people that are writing whole apps with it just as a test, and then there are other people who are um, uh, that are you know people now written books using Midjourney and ChatGPT. Um, I find them very fun to do. Um, uh, fortune cookies. We were talking about fortune cookies earlier, but fortune cookies are a fun thing to do. Like fortune cookies as a Romulan, fortune cookies as um, for the Empire, <laughs> you know, or or the or the or the rebels, and and you get an entirely different set, and it's 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 good fun. People people enjoy it a lot. So yeah, so I think that there's a lot of things, but I will say that the a lot of people are trying to figure out how to make business out of it, and I'll say that a lot of times I find that it is more about like for instance, this is I was talking about somebody talking on a mic. So this is the this is the, like, just to give you a sense of the kind of illustrations that I do for my thing. I, I wanted this for this for presentation, and there he is. So that's a that's a guy talking, guy with glasses talking into a mic um, uh, in the style of Pixar. <laughs> so over a white, over a plain white background. And if you want some kind of illustration, like, I could never find that illustration, you know. And if you find some certain style and use it for all the search terms, it ties in the consistency of your entire um, you know, presentation is actually... It's pretty fun. So I would, you know, I would look less at how to make money with it and more how to just use it on a daily basis. Uh, next question. Next question in from Douglas Carmichael. One thing I've read about the 14-inch MacBook Pro versus the 16-inch MacBook Pro is that the sharp edge of the keyboard can press into the bottom of one's hands, especially those with larger hands. Has anyone else had that experience? Go, Jason. This is one of these insanely subjective um, things that I really wouldn't give much credence to. 
I can tell you straight away that that um, the keys on the 14 versus the 16th to the hundredth of a millimeter are exactly the same, um, completely and exactly the same. So what that means is someone is using it and their hand is just in the right place and they find it uncomfortable. That doesn't mean anything. Next question. From Morgan Price in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. What is your preferred way to use Apple Motion with something like SPX? Seems like they complement, but not sure a smooth way of integrating the rendered animation with the dynamic features. You, you can, um, you know, so generally I would use SPX on its own and, and have, but, but if you want something that's more complex, so the, where, where this might be the case is I want a more complex animation than I can do easily in SPX. And what you would do is you'd render that out with an alpha channel and then you'd fire that off to play. And then what you have to do is you just have to know that your, your animation is out of the way before the, t the text that is dynamic is rolling up. So you have a basic background that's there and you could either, you know, slide that in or play it out. But SPX should be able to play a video out uh, with alpha. And then you would just, you just have to time it. We've done this a lot with both motion and after effects in other areas where we have a, a, a graphic system play it out with an, um, an alpha channel. And, um, and then it, and then we lay that the text is dynamic, but the background isn't, is a, is a known animation. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. I would love to have Tuomo prove me wrong, but I, I'm not really certain that SPX can play a video file. Do we, do we know this for a fact? I think it can. I, Casper what I would, did. I guess, uh, uh, I guess I'm, I, I'm extending it because I know that Casper was able to do that. So I don't know. So I would, what I would th do, Morgan, is think of the two tools. Uh, it, well, at least in my mind, and I could be totally wrong. I've been wrong about many things. Uh, um, I think of the th two tools as like authoring tools. You can, I can pick up my crayons and I can draw some very interesting thing with my crayons. I can pick up my charcoal and I can draw some very interesting things with charcoal. I can't make charcoal drawings with my crayons and I can't make crayon drawings with my charcoal, but I can do very interesting things with both. Um, uh, SPX is using a, a whole, <coughs> excuse me, HTML, HTML tool set to draw and create and color and, and stuff. Motion's doing has its own island. I don't, I, I don't know, and I should, you know what? I'm going to just turn my mic off. Uh, I am 95% certain that it can play out a video with, with an alpha channel. And if it can, then you can render very complex things inside of it with highlights and all kinds of stuff. Um, but we, we'll have to reach out to Tuomo. But I know that Casper CG could definitely do that. It's been able to do that for a decade. So, so we would have to take a look at whether whether um, it can do it. But I think that you would render out the, the bottom layer, and then you would have the dynamic stuff come over, and that's just timing to make sure the bottom layer is opened and visible, and you don't have text going off the end and that type of thing. Uh, next question. Next question in from Hasma Kajar in Cape Town, South Africa. I'm in the midst of creating very short lab-style videos. Some office hours community interested in how I use here to record with gallery position and Zoom ISO to auto-insert with gallery position participant name as a lower third in a super source. How would the panel approach this undertaking? Yeah, I think that um, the, the, I guess the thing that I, when I do short form, I guess what I would say is that I don't, think about doing it live. So when I do live, I do live. <laughs> when I do short form, I 
generally want to cut that much tighter because as a viewer, I'm very particular about what I'm watching. And so if someone does a live thing, I, I don't really want, when people say I'm going to cover something live, I usually don't, I usually assume that, I mean, if, unless it's a long, it's discussing it like the way we do it here, unless we're in, in a discussion and we're covering it and I'm going to put it on in the background somewhere, uh, I don't want to watch anybody do anything live because it's too slow. And so, so I want, you know, for a, an ongoing discussion for us to have, you know, to look at it and to answer questions and to, and if I'm, if I want that kind of experience in the background while I'm driving or something, that's fine. But if you do it short, now you're in this position where I am watching something and I do want that information and I, it, doing it live almost never works for me. <laughs> like, you know, like I need you to, you know, cut this, cut that, and then, and then tighten it all up to make it all work. And I, and I think I would rather um, build a pipeline around that than to try to do lots of things cut live. I, I see a lot of people try to do kind of one takes on these kinds of things, and I, I just don't find it very compelling. Go ahead, Chris. This just in, uh, I stand corrected. You are correct. Tuomo says it absolutely can play back a video file. There you go. <laughs> Unconnected to the current question, but but uh, but a bre but breaking news. Breaking news. Chris. Breaking response. news. Chris was wrong. I think that, that I think we I have, I, I think we should, I'm going to leave my mic off and let you be, run I the show. I, I think, I think, I think we need to, um, have a breaking news, you know, that comes in from SPX. It goes, breaking news. Chris was incorrect. Anyway, so, so anyway. with motion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next question. Bob Sturdivant in Nairobi, Kenya, asking what software would the panel recommend to do the things MixFX Pro does but with a10 mini pro iso since it doesn't do super sources uh go ahead jason i've yet to find an atem switcher that i don't like using uh mix pro with so I, I i i would stay stick with that one it does a great job go ahead, jeffrey yeah i don't see too much i mean we have central command that helps with uh with uh, uh getting that oh, that's a pay uh pace uh program right there but and of course there is technically one super source in a atem mini pro iso and that's that just takes a lot of work to get that super source to work properly well i don't think there's yeah there's not really any good way you're going to need you're not going to there's not a good way to make a mac mini pro do a super source i mean it can do a dve but it doesn't there's not any clean way to do it because it needs those 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 inputs so live so so i think that that is i mean i think that's a limitation of the switcher not so much mix effect pro mix effect pro still could be valuable in the video follows audio that we talked about earlier um, you can do a lot of other controls to it so you might use something like that but you can't uh, mix effect pro isn't being isn't limited it's the it's the mini pro that doesn't have the processing power to do what you're trying to do um, so there's nothing that, that could get it to do it um, you'd have to have those inputs independently and at that point you might as well do something like Nimo Live or OBS or Ecamm or vMix, those are all things that can do all of those things. Um, so if you're looking for a super source and you're not going to use them get a, a, an extreme, then the next step, you're going into software and deciding which one you want to use. Next question. From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, is something like the Fenwick Framer available for home use? And is the Fenwick Framer available as open source? Chris, have you open sourced the Fenwick Framer or is there, is there a royalty payment involved? Uh, no, uh, we're putting, we're putting it on, what, what's that thing called, John? Uh, where you put, where you sell stuff? Oh, um, Etsy? Etsy. No, 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 it's not Etsy. Uh, no, it's the NFTs. Yeah, Open, it's an NFT. Open C. There's, there's a very few of them available. Uh, exactly. the bidding is pretty crazy. 
Uh, I, I you have to use the Charles Schwab music. That that I'm try- stupid I'm trying, thing you keep playing. I'm trying to. I'm trying to retire on this. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, Chris did thought that editing was going to be his thing. It just turned out framers, framers, and and uh, and um, yeah, the, 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 that that's going to be the the thing. Lower Fenwick's and framers. That's going to be his big business. Uh, you know, yeah, Fenwick at large. Yeah. Next question. Next question from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. Um, they made a laptop, but with two Mac Minis and an extreme ISO switcher, crazy or crazy useful? Thinking instead of a flight case, just adding legs. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. So, and this is uh, the question that was asked yesterday. Um, so it was, it's a very interesting build. They wanted to put a larger screen on a laptop. So they took a 32-inch monitor and then they created a case around it and of course they put in the two Mac mini pro uh, two Mac minis uh, for I'm assuming so you could switch back and forth between the two and double the process I love the idea I when I go traveling I take my Mac mini and my MacBook Pro the MacBook Pro becomes the uh, connection to the Mac mini with a uh, with a Wi-Fi uh, uh, router in in play there that way i can start everything on the mac mini and then just uh disconnect the uh macbook pro and do other work as you go so it's very useful but that system would probably not be able to check onto a plane it's way too heavy uh with all the wood that they have in there it's just yeah too heavy go ahead courtney and what about power you know mac minis have ac power supplies that are built in there's no dc inputs on them so I don't know what you'd do for battery power to make it into a super laptop. Uh, you'd have to carry around, you know, a, a deep discharge marine battery, 12 volt, uh, and then hack the Mac Minis to get by the power supply. I think they're just being absurd. I don't think they're planning to take it anywhere. I think they just, they just, uh, <laughs> if you get to like 17 minutes and 44, you, you get kind of the full level of insanity that they, that they have there. I, I don't think that, yeah, I don't think that the goal is to, I, I doubt it's to take it anywhere. I think it was just to build a very absurd um, video, which I think that they did very effectively. Um, I don't know why you would do this, um, but um, it's, uh, it's all the limitations, all the limitations of a, of a laptop with none of the advantages, <laughs> so, in my opinion. So I, I think I think they just made a great video. They got 650,000 views in three days. So I, I think that was the most useful part of that, of that video. And um, I think that they did a great job. Uh, next question. From Samuel Nordvik in Norway, Samuel asked, is there a way to output 3840 by 1080 from a Mac Mini M1 to the LG 42.5 quad display? I don't think so. You would have to probably output it as quads itself to do, well, it wouldn't be quads either. It would be um, you putting out as a dual output. So you would need a dual output that is left and right. I guess the way that you would do that, and I don't know if it, it might work. If you had two outputs from your um, from your Mac Mini, and you had them right next to each other, and you put them into two of the outputs there, the problem is, is that yeah, if, if it, it, it does it have two inputs? Like I'm not, I don't know the the LG, but theoretically, if you had a left and a right, and you put it into into the into a dual monitor, and it was designed to show different monitors, it should just be one big wide one that is um, thirty eight. 40 by 1080 um, should work. Uh, works in my head. <laughs> so, uh, so if it, if it's got two monitor outputs and you take two monitor 
outputs from your, I mean, it has two, if it has two monitor inputs, is that, if that's how that one is designed, and I'm making this up because I've never used the LG, but there's so, if it's got two inputs, you should be able to just take two outputs from your Mac mini. Uh, it'd be one of them is a USB to HDMI and the other one's the HDMI and you put, you plug them into that LG and, um, and, uh, but if it's a quad display, it, it seems like it wants to be a 16 by nine. And so it has to be a wide screen. So it'd have to be a wide screen to do that. Yeah. I, I it, it's, yeah. Yeah. Next question. From Hasma Kajar, Cape Town, South Africa. Hasma Gas, I used two Stream Deck XLs in my medical event. I did not go to the Amazon card for the Stream Deck Plus to complete a hesitant purchase. For those who have the Plus, would you recommend that? I cry once again. <laughs> go ahead, Jason. <laughs> um, so the dials are a very specific use case. And if you don't find yourself needing to make a lot of switching very quickly, that's really what dials are for. So if, if you're not finding yourself missing it, I, I don't think you're really going to have much added to your production. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've The one problem that I have with the Stream Deck Plus is the dials are on the bottom. I'd like to see them on the top. In fact, I would love to see a Stream Deck device that just dials that I can put right on top of my 15 button or my 32 button because I like to have the dials above it. I always find that I'm kind of scraping hand when I'm trying to get to the Stream Deck, uh, getting to uh, getting to those buttons. So I'd, I'd like to see that rather than having the, that uh, design or a way to flip it around. That would be uh, really helpful for me. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. There's another issue with the Stream Deck Plus that is kind of interesting. The, the uh, eight buttons that are there are a completely different scale than all your other stream decks. They're close together vertically. They're far apart horizontally, which means they're not on a real, like a square grid. And they're larger. And I got to say, the knob thing, I, I don't use it. I could see why some people do, but I don't use them hardly at all. Yeah, if you think that there's some kind of volume or some kind of thing that you'd want to control with that, with those knobs, I think that it would be valuable, but you have to think through it. And I have it. I have to admit, I haven't used it as much as I thought I would. Um, so I got it and I was like, okay, this is going to be great. And it kind of sits there and I go, well, I got to figure out exactly what I'm going to do with that. And I just haven't, haven't done that. So it hasn't been as useful as I thought it would be. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, for the dials, and this is especially for gamers, uh, you can actually set up multiple sound. Like for instance, uh, on Windows, I can have my Zoom and my main sound, two different audio devices. And for me to actually switch between uh, the two, I'd either have to go into Zoom and, and change the uh, speakers or uh, change the volume of the speakers and then go to the uh, speaker panel to do the main. With these dials, you can set them all so you can have them, one go to Spotify, one go to Zoom, one go to your main audio. But that doesn't work that, doesn't work that way on a Mac. And I think that there's, you know, while the encoders aren't the highest quality, those of us that are used to, you know, the in the dials that are used to higher quality and higher resolution encoders, these aren't the best ones. Um, I will say there are things that you go, well, on a stream deck, I'd be hitting arrow, 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 arrow up or arrow, arrow, arrow down. And that'd be kind of, that's kind of annoying in some cases. So I do think that there are places where those encoders, even at the resolution that they're at, would be useful. Um, and I have all of them and I'm kind of figuring out in my next configuration for the desk of where they're all going to go. Haven't quite figured that out yet. <laughs> next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, Stanberg Bowden Progressive is a guitar like no other, no head, ergonomic. Why has it taken so long for a new guitar design? Go ahead, Javier. 
I think it did, did take in so long because it's a design that has like, I know, 500 years and it works great. It sounds like the way it's supposed to sound. So I think the first part is like tradition. A lot of musicians and guitar makers are like, this is like the classic design of the, like the, the guitars. Uh, the second part, I think, is it's very hard to string it, to tune it and to, especially if something happens on stage, like you can't change uh, strings easily. I remember the first time I bought a guitar with a complex tremolo system and I tried to tune it and to to uh, change all the uh, the strings and everything it was a nightmare for me so i think this the kind of designs may work in some of the scenarios and they they look very great and if you see a guitar player with this in stage you're going to remember it because they're few and apart so uh, most people use it like that because like a aesthetic statement more than a useful uh, instrument they look cool but they are not that uh, easy to use especially the technique like tuning it in and setting up Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, Javier hit it. Uh, I would imagine tuning it requires a tool. So if you don't have a guitar tech who's at the edge of the stage ready to hand you a new one that's in tune when it goes out or it pops a string, um, I wouldn't use one of these in a live performance. Next question. Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana. Chris asks, short of using an ATEM Extreme, what would the panel recommend for an eight-source multi-view to a large 4K to a 4K large display? Go ahead, Jason. You're not going to like the answer. Uh, Blackmagic Multiview 16, which costs easily as much money, will do this very nicely. Yeah, and it won't be eight because you, you really have to, you know, to do it, it has to be one by one, two by two, three by three, four by four. So really that you're talking about nine sources um, that you would need to to go into that. So it's um, so it's four, one, four, nine, 16 are the ones that are going to fit into that as a super source. And so, or not a super source, but as a, um, as an eight source multi-view. So yeah, and the best one, as Jason said, is that as far as, I don't know of any nine source ones or 16 source ones for HDMI. So I, you know, I four, uh, um, you can definitely get four by, you know, um, a four by four can be, can be gotten, uh, or two by, I'm sorry, two by two. So four up. Um, is about two hundred fifty dollars on Monoprice, <laughs> so so those are doable, uh, and there's lots of those. Um, but eight or nine, I haven't seen other than you'd get right to the multi-view, or you'd find another piece of hardware that costs as much as a multi-view. <laughs> so that's the thing. Next question. Robin Cutshaw is here from Atlanta, Georgia, asking: With the X Dante cards back in stock for the X32, I'm thinking about how I'll design the X32 integration with my network. How do you use your Dante attached X32? Could we do a lab? I think doing a lab would be great. Um, uh, you know, we have all of our X32s. So we get a lot of X32 racks and all, all of them. I mean, I don't buy one until I have, I know I can get the Dante card and I, we've got a host of them in there. And so, I mean, that's, that's how we're using them. I think we have right now two of them um, in, uh, in the office hours kit, one that Mickey runs and one that, that I'm fiddling with a little bit. Um, and so, um, so those are, those are there. Uh, so yeah, so there's, there's a, um, uh, uh, there, they're you know basically they're that's your engine it goes in and out um there's no analog or it can be you can add some analog if you want to to the x32 but i think doing a lab would make a lot of sense um, next question hasmut gajar cape town south africa hasmut asked twit has many shows leo mentioned that alex did a lab on mid-journey on one of the twitch shows some three weeks back i know i can google for the show but alex tell us 
Uh, I think it went into some of the Twit extras. Uh, so if you're a member of Twit, I think it's um, I think it's in there somewhere. I think it, that's where they put those videos. And I don't know. I actually don't know what the video where those videos are. Um, I think that it was part of the tech or the the new show that Leo's doing that I can't remember the name of right now. Um, that was the tech guy. Um, so that was the. Um, but I think it was a couple Sundays back, and um, I just recorded it. I'll probably record another one. <laughs> For our channels sometimes soon only because uh you know that one was pretty good but i i've done a lot since then as well and so but that one's it's a good little intro to show you how that works um so um but i think that i i think it's in some custom part of of, of twit and i i will admit i have a hard time doing uh i have a hard time doing pre vod's <laughs> it's easy for i can do live every morning as you as many of you have seen but doing VODs, even just something short, my my correction, my forward error correction in my head goes to, to, to 11. Then it very, it's very hard for me to put something out. So that would take a long time and it, it, I still wasn't happy with it. <laughs> so anyway, but it's it, I think a lot of people seem to like it. Um, so anyway, so check that out. Next question. Paul Wallison, Austin, Texas has a question, kind of a follow-up. Uh, will ChatGPT help you with Unix and Linux system administration and shell scripting? Uh, yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, I use it right now for the SQL scripts for for the OH database. It writes my SQL scripts perfect. So yes, I think it does right now 48 different languages, which a lot of people don't know. You can ask it a question and then have it print out in one of 48 different languages, which is amazing. And then I think it supports right now 15 or 18 different programming languages. And if you, by the way, if you, if you have any other questions, we've got a couple more minutes before the top of the hour. Um, the... Uh, um, yeah, I, I think that you're going to find that it helps with a lot of those things. Again, right now, I would say that you have to be pretty advanced to use it. And the reason for that is if you, you can't just like, I don't know Unix, so write me a shell because it's it's still making a lot of errors. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's very error prone. And so I think that you'd have a hard time having it write something for somebody that doesn't know what they're looking at. That said, I think it will, it's, I mean, talking to programmers, um, it seems like a lot of people are getting a lot of productivity out of it because it will write a very, you know, it can write a lot of code very, very fast in a way that what might take you, again, it's not that you will use it, you will not cut and paste it verbatim, but you'll look at it and it might write something that would have taken you an hour or two. This is, this is how it was told to me anyway, <laughs> that something that might take an hour or two to write, it'll write in 15 seconds. And then it takes a little, and 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 the, the reality is, is that it takes a couple minutes to to fix it. You know, like oh, this variable's wrong, or this didn't, this 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 wouldn't work, or or something like that. But it ends up being you know half an hour instead of two hours. And that's that's they're not saying that it's nothing, like it's just doing it all by itself. But it's you know three, four, five times faster to do it with ChatGPT. Now, obviously, there's a you know there's some sensitivity to that because the uh, companies don't want you to just throw important code into the cloud <laughs> like so so i think it's really working for people who are not trying to don't have a lot of data to protect as well i think that's one of the challenges as well yeah go ahead mitchell proto um i'm curious it can it can write a well-formed query for sql that's amazing 100 oh, yeah. oh, yeah. i'm doing one right now for fenwick every time fenwick was a host the um i uh uh, I had it right, and I haven't, I haven't, I haven't implemented it yet. But I have a complaint about the Apple iPhone um, that the I want to shoot in forty-eight megapixels, and I don't, I don't want it to automatically shift down. I want it to always shoot forty-eight megapixels, 
And um, so I just asked ChatGPT. I said, "Write me a program that will <laughs> an application that will do this." And um, and and I want it to always be forty eight uh, there. And it and it and I said in the in the language of Swift. And it just wrote a it wrote an app. And I sent it to a friend of mine that does more programming than I do. And he's like, "Yeah, that would work." <laughs> like, there's a couple things. There's a couple things I'd fix in there, but but you know. And it was you know. So it it is. So you can tell it Swift, you can tell it. Now, the, the problem you have is that the model was built two years ago. So any of the updates or new libraries or other things aren't there. So it works great with more stable. Swift is probably not the best thing to use because it's not, it's a move, it's a fast growing library, but something like Python or Unix or Linux, you'd probably be able to um, get 99% of the, of the capacity out of it. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Next question. Next one in from Douglas Carmichael. Douglas asks, when I tried out a 14-inch MacBook Pro at an Apple store, it's always a drastic adjustment for my eyes and posture coming from a 15-inch MacBook Pro. I've been standing up when I've evaluated it. Would the change be less drastic from a seated position? Go ahead, Jason. That depends. Do you usually use your 15-inch MacBook Pro seated or standing? Um, if you're not using it the way that um, you're testing it, then it's kind of a moot point. Next question. David Brady, New York, New York, asking, when rack mounting Blackmagic Design mini converters, how do you do it? Uh, can they be screw mounted vertically or do you dual lock them flat to a shelf? Uh, go ahead, uh, Jason. Um, they screw mount in from the bottom, but the trick with them is that you never, ever, ever put three in a rack unless you want at least two out of those three to burn out. So um, if you've got two racks, now, then you're talking about the one, skip one. Are you talking about the recorders or the or the this is these are the mini converters, like the little boxes? Oh, the tiny ones. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. What is it? Somebody makes a, a vertical, you know, that'll stack them. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the way to go. B and H. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. A little uh, thing of Velcro on the back of them. Pop them right on the side of the rack. Uh, uh, Mitch, uh, go ahead, um, Courtney. Well, I thought he was talking about the third uh, third width rack uh, type uh, converters, the, the mini Terranex. Because uh, they do have a bracket that you can buy from them that uh, will take three up into a 1RU rack uh, piece. It's a metal rack. And then they screw in from the bottom. And they're designed to... As Jason said, uh, the fans are on the sides of those third rack units, and they're designed to pass air from left to right or right to left. I can't remember which direction, but you got to make sure that the output of the last one is open and not blocked by anything, and the input of the first one on the right is not blocked by anything because the airflow goes through them and out the, to the left, which means that the one that's on the, on the output side gets all the heat from the other two, so it's probably going to be the first one to fail. Yeah, and and there are quite a few options in Markertech that, that will do that will do these things. And so, um, you want to take probably take a look there. You can stack them vertically. These little converters, these um, these are the this is the mini micro converter HDMI to SDI here. Um, there is one that will actually take you know these, and it'll actually screw these. It, you can it'll it, it, there's like a whole rack length of the of these that'll go in and out. Um, that are available as well that you can put into a rack. You can, um, there's a lot of different ones that'll rack them vertically. Um, some are horizontal. I, I never quite understood the horizontal part. You do want to space them out a little bit. They do create heat. So stacking them right up against each other is, is not, uh, a, not a good idea. And once you start building this density, you want to start thinking about a distro. So how do you provide um, direct DC to them from a, from a, from a single PDU? 
um, be, as opposed to a, um, and I think that, yeah, I think Mitchell, I mean, Courtney, that's the, not what he's asking about. I think he's asking about the converters. But the, um, the, but you want to have something that is, because what will happen is, is you're now generating an enormous number of wall words right next to each other. So, so think about a centralized um, DC distribution to, to back, back to those. Um, next question. Next question in from Ike Potter in Hanover, Germany. Any new dates ahead for a lab in after hours on making your own SDI BNC cables? No dates right now. Um, I will say that, you know, I decided to kind of take take one thing at a time. And, you know, so we're <laughs> we're finishing 2.5 and there's folks that are doing labs uh, and we're kind of getting ready for NAB. We now have, I think, 20 people signed up um, for NAB. And uh, so we're kind of focused on those things. And I'm trying to get the second hours for those watching, I think we talked about this on Sunday. The second hour is a lot of work, <laughs> so so the uh, so I'm trying to get those under control, um, and so that we push their horizon events away from us, and then we can start. Then you're going to see more labs as that as those second hours become stabilized. Um, next question: Henry Ramos in Yonkers, New York, asking: Currently using Business Sims different carriers in my PepLink unit, but I recall hearing about another option, Telco or something similar. Would you recommend for occasional use? Uh, we generally use the different sims, you know, for that. That is the way we do it. You you want to not necessarily. I don't know of anyone else. There's there's Mr. Net. I don't know if that's what you're looking at that that can do some of that for you, but that's doing what you're doing. So um, I would I would stick with the multiple sims. Next question. Bob Sturtevant from Nairobi, Kenya, asking: Is there a good travel UPS that can handle 120 volts or 240 that can be put into a checked baggage? Not that I know of. Like it is, UPS is, there's just so much going on when it comes to power that it really needs to be 120 or 240. I've been buying a lot of them. I've never seen one that will switch uh, well. Go ahead, Courtney. You might be able to get away with it uh, with the APCs, the smaller versions, uh, if you disconnect, because they have lead-acid batteries, which I think are allowed to be in checked luggage. I, if it I don't think it's acid, being allowed. I think it's the issue is, is that, they, that they just won't, you can't do 120 in a 240 environment or, or vice versa. That's true. Yeah, it doesn't handle the input. Doesn't ha the output yeah. has to be a, a dual voltage inverter, uh, which they don't exist. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, they get it's pretty exciting when you plug the uh, UP. I can tell you from personal experience when you plug a one twenty into a two forty uh, outlet, super exciting. It gets really smoky really fast. <laughs> so so anyway, so so I would I would uh, I would highly recommend against you. Know, this, it's the one place you really have to pay attention. Hair dryers, uh, bug zappers for Africa and uh, and um, and your UPSs. Next question. Next question in from Robin Cutshaw in Atlanta, Georgia. I installed the noise assist in my MixPre 6, but I go to turn on advanced mode to use it. The mic audio levels go to zero and changing levels does nothing. Is there a magic sauce? I don't know what the answer to that. I mean, advanced mode and use it, the mic audio goes to zero. Well, you want to click on the source. So make sure that you're clicking. You, you, you want to push in the volume button to click on that source and make sure you see where that where the gain is um, so that it may be it may have something to do with that also make sure that it's activated for that channel and also make sure that it's um uh yeah i think but it's it's the, it may be the input gain for the channel that you're doing so you, you push in the volume button you'll see it there in the upper left and you just you got to turn that to you know where you need it to go to to get get something back i think when you go into advanced mode i think that's what that's probably what's getting you next question Hasma Kajar in Cape Town, South Africa, has a question. 
I've been asked to produce YouTube live streams of the KSI Karate World Champs in July in Cape Town. Six mats, and they say audio is not important. Really? Come with brios? Really? Who in community can provide great advice? Well, not not them. <laughs> so 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 uh, yeah. So I think that uh, uh, you definitely are going to need to be able to follow things around. I think that I think that there that someone who doesn't have a lot of imagination doesn't want to spend a lot of money uh, for anything where people are hitting the mats. I, I would definitely have a shotgun or two that are pointed at the mat. You know, to, so so that you get those impacts. Um, so I think that, that would be that'd be pretty useful. So um, yeah, so I I think that it's just a matter of what you have a budget for. You know, so you'd want to have obviously operatable cameras. I think you could get some, away with something on a budget of like the the Insta three sixty links where you could kind of reframe things. You stay with a wider shot. I think they're they're just thinking that they're moving around a lot, and you're not going to get a close up. Um, but I think that you know, you might want a wider shot for, for each one of those. And maybe the, a lot of times you do these things in passes. You do one, you do it the first time and you just see what happened. <laughs> like you just do it. You're, the problem you're going to have with USB cameras is you've got six mats. They're really far apart. And how do you get that video signal around? So having an SDI signal um, is going to make it a lot easier to convert that and move it over a long distance back to wherever you want to, you know, st stream it. Otherwise, you're going to have little computers next to every mat, which will be not great. All right. We are changing subjects, and uh, we're very excited to have uh, Ross here to talk about the folks from Ross, um, Matt Marion and Bo Cordell uh, here to, um, to we, we know some Rosses, that's why I suddenly realized, uh, but we're really, really, really excited to have them here talking about Dashboard. Um, and I'm going to let Bo give us a little bit of an introduction um, to that, and then Matt uh, to, uh, to jump in. Go ahead, Bo. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us uh having us back. Um, uh, yeah, we thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about Dashboard. So Dashboard's a free piece of software uh, that Ross Video put out that, you know, it's kind of operates, we use it as kind of that single pane of glass for operators. So it can control any number of, you know, computers, machines, switchers, routers. Uh, you know, Matt's done a lot of crazy, crazy things. I know we've controlled, you know, water fountains and lights and all kind of things at uh, different stadiums with it. So yeah, me and Matt both work for Ross Video. We work for uh, Rocket Surgery, which is kind of the creative services division of Ross. Uh, and Matt, I'll let, let him or let you tell him a little bit about you and your team. All right, so I'm Matt Marion. I work with uh, Rocket Surgery. So my department is triggering control. So we do mostly dashboard stuff. So basically, you got a stadium, you got a studio, you've got a theater, you got an event center, We'll build you a dashboard to control it. So basically, whatever you need to do. So some places it's just a you know graphic shop box. Sometimes we have full blinds and projector screens and projectors and you name it. So that's one of the cool things about dashboard is it's it's basically lets you build a nice, easy, easy to build UI, and you've got TCP connections you can make, which right there is the the meat and potatoes of everything. If you can connect to it over TCP, you can control it. So like we, you can have an event center, you walk in, you push a button, you know, all the blinds come up, the projector screens go down, the audio turns on, the house lights come on, the stage lights come on. So we have like EOS control, like there's any device that has TCP API, you, as long as you know a bit of JavaScript, you can go in there and write yourself up an API for it. So it's, it's pretty cool software, especially since it's free and you don't well, need to know your the, uh, UI stuff. That's the key. What's the, <laughs> what's, the, what's the business model for making it free? Like, why do you do that? Quite honestly, I have no idea why they originally made it free. Um, I came in and I thought that was kind of crazy, but we make our money in rocket surgery, my department, by 
we so you can contract me to build one and i think it's like 1750 a day us and right. we'll build a panel for you so i mean it it can save a lot of time and money in the end so it you know it saves people a lot of money but oh yeah for for some for anyone you can just download it for free i think that was kind of the point of it and it lets people use it yeah. it's the whole photoshop thing a lot of people you know they got photoshop you know not necessarily paid for it and now there are huge photoshop fans and they're buying licenses yeah. left right and center so it, i think it's kind of one of those things if you give it they will come yeah yeah absolutely john did you have a question yes uh i'm i'm very disappointed in mr doug ferguson who's a ross user that is not with us today can we kick him off the island alex <laughs> yeah exactly um so so can you matt can you give us a little overview of how it how how do you get started with it actually um both you could do a little demo oh, there. yeah i can do a little demo yeah we can we can kind of talk through i can do a little demo we can we can talk through any questions and, and whatnot as we go um but basically you know if you if you open up dashboard you get essentially a blank canvas so that should be what you're seeing on your screen right now yep, we see it. Uh, i'm just going to go into panel builder edit mode and because i'm doing it this way it's going to be complicated uh no here we go Panel Builder Edit Mode. Hold on. Yeah. Of course, the demo is wonky. I'll come Always. back to that in just a minute. Um, but basically, you start out with a blank canvas. You have all the tools to make uh, you know, tabs and buttons. And uh, it, it, there is a bit of a node-based component. So you can kind of drag in blocks. Uh, they call it visual logic um, or you know, visual scripting, but you can drag in blocks for TCP commands, for UDP commands, and um, you know, control. Like, like Matt said, it's kind of got a JavaScript backend. So if you know JavaScript, you can build your own functions. Um, if not, you can you know, just kind of use the ones that are pre-built. And um, you, know, you can go <laughs> as simple or as complex as you want. Uh, so I'll, I'll show you that in just a few minutes. And when you say you can build your own functions, can you build kind of your own library that you could share with other people? Like these are the, uh, you know, build your own nodes essentially that you're going to, that you're going to work from. Yeah, exactly. So, um, for instance, Jonas has put out like a zoom ISO, uh, you know, TypeScript library. We, we were able to bring that in. So we, I've been able to control zoom ISO using dashboard. I've been able to control, you know, black magic, uh, links. Um, Hyperdex, you know, there's really not a limit to what you can control. Like I'm controlling my LG, you know, a lot of us have those 4K LG displays that have the uh, RS-232, you know, jack on it. So I've, I'm running that through a uh, TCP to uh, serial converter and I'm controlling my <laughs> LG TV using dashboard. So there's, you know, there really is in the limit to it. And and how would you do something like so? A lot of us use a, a lot of us use OSC to pass things back and forth between a lot of our gear. How would you go from dashboard to to get it to OSC? What what would you use to translate that? Do you have it? Do you know? Does I can come yeah. here if you want. So yeah, go OSC for it, Matt. is. Uh, uh, do you guys mind if I uh, share my screen to show absolutely. you some stuff here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Might as well. Um. All right. Share. All right, so you guys can see this. Uh, it's a dashboard. So this is dashboard. Um, so you can see at the top here. So this is this is what I have to control my room. Um, I'm in the middle of moving my room from my house to the office because uh, I don't need it in the house anymore. So I had a whole event center slash 
TV studio in my house. So here, and it's, this is kind of squished. It's supposed to be in that full screen. So for example, here we've got like Azure control at the top. So key pro. So I could start, you know, stop my key pro. Here I've got lighting. So this is EOS. So I'm just using EOS, et cetera. Um, and that's actually, it's on a touch screen that's beside me. So you can see my face kind of turned a little purple there. So right. I'm like turning my lights up and down. I've got a joystick that controls my PTZ camera. If you look back there, there's a Samsung camera or a Panasonic camera up there. So I've got a, a joystick that controls that all tied through here. And, and how's the, how's the joystick tied through the, through this to the camera? And, uh, so the joystick, so watch this. So this is what I was going to show you guys. So if you go into here, this is a pretty complicated panel, but for example, these are APIs. API is just a tag you could put in and then you put JavaScript. So OSC, you're asking, well, it just, just go in. through, figure out what OSC does, make a TCP listener, write up some JavaScript, and you can get an OSC. Or just right. ask Bo or me, and we'll probably, we could even just give you the OSC parser. Right, right, right. Um, I use this one a lot. A lot of things use OSC. Yeah. So this is just JavaScript to be able to send the bytes out in the format that OSC takes. Mm -hmm. um, you can also use uh, intermediate things. So forget what it's called, but there's that thing you can get. It's, you log into the website, it gives you a bunch of buttons. You can program the buttons to do pretty much anything. They can also be triggered. Uh, what's it called? I don't know, but here's the OS. So for example, same thing. This sends EOS commands, EOS use OS, OSC. So I've got my, uh, my EOS set up so I can do my lighting. I've got an LED. Here's the PTZ. This is the joystick. So I just wrote myself like this nice, big, long joystick control over it. So joysticks just load in a dashboard. You can just plug one in USB, PlayStation joystick, you know, like, like I'm using the Thrustmaster uh, flight yoke. You can plug anything into it you want. It'll work. I just wrote this big, long thing because I wanted to have, I don't know, I'm a programmer. I just do that. Right. You know, things like ITAC. So this is just a relay. I think Bo just mentioned that. It's literally a relay. You turn it on or off. It, it connects over Ethernet. And yeah, you can just turn things on and off. I have normally my uh, lights and stuff hooked up to it, but not quite yet. And here's, here's a fun one that's built into this one. Um, I don't have it working right now. I actually have a demo room kind of set up where I have a little projector screen, but it's actually just a 12 volt motor and I make it go up and down. And again, through dashboard, it's just triggering a relay. So I, I start the motor, it goes up, stop the motor. So fire alarm is a fun one. It's an example of push one button, have a lot of things happen. Graphics right. come on the screen that tell you to go away. Projector screen goes up, blinds go up, lights turn to uh, like house lights turn to light. Yeah, or to white and everything. So you could pile a bunch of stuff. And to what Bo was saying earlier, so for example, if I make a new file, uh, sure, I'll put it in my motorsports thing. So if I make a new file and I want a button, I now have a button. I can give it a name. And I can add a task. And I've got all those functions that I made. Uh, somewhere in here. Or I can pull in, uh, I don't have any devices or anything, but I can switch to JavaScript, for example, and I can do stuff. Blah, 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 blah. And it's a lot easier with a mouse. 
and you can add a task to a button. And now if I want to use this button for anything, if I put useful stuff in there instead of just right, I can now do it. So it's that fast to make a button. And I mean, so you set up your APIs, you get APIs. There's also visual. Um, I think I turned it off. Oh no, there's visual there. Oh, but it's disabled. I can I'm, see. I'm a programmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, absolutely. I think Bo uses a lot of the visual more so. But Bo, uh, did you get did you get your uh Yeah, yeah, your... I can I, I got ahead of myself and was trying to edit a file that I hadn't created yet. So I figured that out. Um, yeah, so, so like again, here, uh, if I want to open a file for reading, boom. Put in the path. Right. So and now then... now this button will now do a bunch of gobbledygook from that first task and it will open up a button right so it's 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 that easy to just build a boom and you can go all the way up to for example this and so that's that's actually the whole thing is running inside of it this is running in dashboard a whole bunch of layers of pngs and stuff with a little dude running around the middle and you can go, you can actually open up the little treasure chests and everything. <laughs> I won't get into it, but, uh, and yeah, like you can make simple things like key pros. This is a double key pro panel. So th there's lots, uh, there's a lot of fun you can do with it. Here, I'll, That's really uh, cool. Unshare. It's crazy. There we go. And then we'll jump. Yeah, in. so that's. Oh. Yeah, like we use it for a lot of complicated stuff like broadcast environment studios and everything. Yep. But I mean, a lot of the customers even, even come down to sometimes like one person shows, um, we've mm -hmm. got, um, like house of worship places. A lot of them, you know, they don't have the hugest, hugest budget, but they also like to do things themselves. They really like to, to teach their people to do things dashboard. Perfect. You just download it, start programming, build your things up. Right. Like, you, you know, you're good to go. Like, and I mean, no matter what level you're on, like, like Bo said, like I, I actually wrote up a thing. I started writing it up to control the heat in my house, right? The thermostat, <laughs> because I can connect to it over the network. Yeah. So why not? I mean, <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, I'll and, shut I, up. and it's just a little, <laughs> and, it's, and it's just like a little PC. You, you know, you could use like a little, like one of those, just a tiny. Nut yeah, it's cross-platform. I run it on the little, you know, B link. I've got several B links. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it doesn't run great on a Raspberry Pi. I've, you know, it, it's close, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's cross-platform. Uh, Windows, Linux, Mac. Um, you know, it's it's easy to run. I've run it in the cloud a good bit. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty lightweight. Did you want us to show? Are you ready to jump back to? Yeah, your I mean, I can demo? just quickly. I'll yeah. just kind of quickly punch through. So I now that I have a file open, uh, so go into edit mode. Just like Matt was talking about, I'll I'll actually start with a tab. I normally start with tabs to keep things clean. I'll create a couple of tabs here, uh, you know, just so we now have different canvases. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so there's an NDI widget. So if I drag out an NDI widget. I've actually got a multi-viewer that I'm streaming right now that should pop in as soon as NDI catches up. Yep, so there's a multi-viewer for a switcher that I have in, in my uh, home lab here, running a unlicensed version of Zoom ISO. Sorry, Andy. Um, <laughs> and then let's say if I just wanted to create like a take button for this switcher, you know, and you could do this. I've built these for vMix, um, and this one's for Ross Carbonite, but it's the same idea. So I'm just going to build a little grid there and then put two buttons in it. 
and now if I double click one of the buttons, I'll name it take and then add a task to that button. And here's where you can, you can once you know the code for the raw stock or whatever kind of triggering you're going to do, mm -hmm. uh, you can manually type it if you just go into the OG script area. So OG script is essentially JavaScript with a couple of other uh, fun stuff, you know, raw specific or, or OG open gear specific things. Um, but if I just drag in a block for send TCP message, type in my IP address, don't hack me, um, and then type in, so this is ME cut ME preview program. So I just happen to know that that's the string that my switcher is looking for when I do a cut. So now when I hit click take, then you'll see it taking the feed from preview to program. So, I mean, it's it's pretty simple to build fairly complex things. Yeah. Um, you know, if we want to do a lab or something in after hours at some point, we can. I The vMix one I made, I actually made all the individual source boxes clickable. Yeah. So when you wanted, uh, you know, Mitch to be the source in program, you just click his face. So it's, you know, there's there's a lot of capabilities there once you kind of dig into it. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, Matt, oh, thanks for being here with us. Is it possible to uh, to program to a hardware device like a Scarhoy? Seems like it could. So the limitations are basically TCP. So if it can take anything over TCP, and I mean, there are lots of boxes. So there's boxes that do TCP to USB, TCP to serial, TCP to you name it. So as long as it can connect over TCP, dashboard can control it. And it's got an API. So if it can take commands, take commands, connects over the Ethernet uh, in some way or fashion, is, even if there's a box in the middle, dashboard can control it. So there, I have yet to run into anything outside of Dante that I can't control. Dante is pretty closed. It's got its own thing going. But I mean, even Dante machines that have control protocols over TCP, I can still do. Um, so yeah, it's like any hardware out there that you can think of, it can be controlled. And, even and like I said, like a little 12 volt motor I made. And of course, it can it can be you know it can be looking for things too, right? So it can be looking for certain inputs or looking for something to happen, and then so you can set up dependencies. So you can arm something, and now it's going to wait until it sees something else, and then it'll automatically execute. Something. Right. So, Mitch, I'm not sure if the Scarhoy does. I would imagine it does MIDI or some some form of um, control like that. I, I haven't used a Scarhoy with dashboard, but I think we can. Um, kind of using the same methods that uh, Matt was talking about—a USB joystick, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. You can pull in a MIDI, MIDI device as a, as a joystick. So there's there's an option when you're loading it in. You can you plug it in with USB, and you can pick joystick, MIDI controller. Uh, as far as MIDI goes, it's not the most developed out. It's mostly just CC commands, but you get a ton of them. So there's a decent chance that it will work. Um, I've got an X-Touch, like a Behringer X-Touch here that uh, also runs on MIDI, but you can do it over Ethernet. So I wrote up a like MIDI over Ethernet. I forget what the thing's called, but there's a protocol of MIDI over Ethernet. So I wrote up a whole thing there. So I have my X-Touch that controls my uh, Altrix audio and everything. So there's a way to do it. You just may have to get a little bit dirty in the uh, programming section. But one of the cool things is logic. It's it's being able to pile multiple actions into the same, say, button, or like you said, wait for something to happen and then trigger something automatically based on that. Yeah, it's impressive. And it's free. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, 
yeah, and this might be what you were about to ask, but uh, to continue on the the devices. So monogram, I think we might you might have had monogram on a we while did. back. They mm-hmm. have the uh, you know the control surfaces, mm-hmm. so we we can use that using the MIDI interface. Um, That's great. Stream Deck Stream Deck has a native Rostalk plugin for the the native Stream Deck app, as well as uh, Companion has has extensive support. So I'm I'm using a I use a Stream Deck to control dashboard every day, you know, right. a lot. You know, that, that's that's one of my main workflows uh, when we're do, when we're on big productions. That's great. So Companion was what I was thinking of earlier that I couldn't remember the name of. So Companion, you could trigger the Companion buttons using HTTP. Well, Dashboard can do an HTTP GET very, very, very simply, and you literally just put that in. You put the button number and the, I forget what the other code is, and boom, you've got the whole Companion thing in dashboard that you can have sitting beside your NDI feed that you can have, you know, your agile controller at the top. So you can combine all that. And that's kind of what we do is you combine everything into one interface. Instead of having four or five interfaces, four or five people running a show, you do it yourself. Right. Or, or, yeah. And I can see how, you know, when you think about those tabs, you could also be sitting there going, this person gets this control, this person gets this control and all of it's kind of, they're just opening different, they they could potentially just be opening different tabs. So they're dealing with their part of the, of and, the show. and we often make custom dashboards depending on the operator. So, for instance, you know, a common use case for me, you know, we, we operate a lot of football shows where we might have, you know, we might be in one truck as the operators. We'll have a graphics producer that might be in another truck. Well, there's certain stats that they get throughout the game from their statistician where I literally just give them a small dashboard panel that has the four text boxes that they need to type in the numbers that are going to be accurate at that moment. And I don't even, I don't have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about double checking it. They type that in on their dashboard on their computer and that data flows all the way to, you know, all the way to the graphic. So it's, it's an easy way to divide up the labor, you know, the, the, just have the buttons in front of the people who need the buttons. Right. And, and they can say, well, I really wish this button was a little further over. And because it's not a lot of code, you just drag it over and publish it to them again. How, how easy is it for you to update it? I mean, it's, it's very easy. So everything's local file based. Um, so it's, it, it saves out as a dot grid file. Um, yeah, so it, it's not like, it's not really, not generally backed by a web server or anything like that. It's, it's just a local file base. So um, if I'm updating something for my graphics producer, then I'll save it to Dropbox, give them the new link, and they'll download the new version of that file. That's great. We've got a gump, bunch I mean, of questions. If they've okay, built the file, they can, they can move the button on their own. So if you're yeah, using a file, if you're using a grid file you made, it's like, oh, I don't like this button here. You literally just go into edit mode, move it over a little bit, go back out. Okay, now it's good. Yeah, because you're not changing really the functionality. Though, I mean, There's not a lot of programming. It's it's literally just open it up, move it, close it back. That's up again. one of the beautiful things about it is the ability to make the UI quickly. Everything else you try to do a UI and a lot of other things that's fully right. custom and it's hard. Takes programming. Like trying to do a UI and Node and HTML and stuff like that. Like it takes a while. It's not custom. You can't just drag things. So to me, that's the magic. Combining this, this really easy to use UI, tweak it all, all you want, and you can put JavaScript. And I mean, it's literally magic. I saw this thing and they're giving it away for free when I started at Ross. And I was like, no, no, no. We're going to make money off this thing. <laughs> Build a whole department around making money off of uh, right. making custom dashboards because why not? I mean, it's well, awesome. and it, anyway, it, it, it's something. It's something that we found uh, a lot with um, when I, I do events, you know, for folks. And we would, 
give people advice all the time on their smaller events because we knew eventually they were going to grow into a point where they went, hey, I can't do this anymore, but I, I can see what's possible now. And I know that I can't get there. <laughs> so so I'm going to hire someone to solve that problem, you know, and I think that that, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, go, go ahead, uh, Courtney and Mitchell, and then we're going to move on to the questions. Yeah, does so the UI uh, automatically scale if you have different resolution monitors that you want to show it on 4K, 1080p, or 16 by 9, you know, 4 by 3? Does it if automatically you build adapt? it to scale, it will scale if you build it to scale. So you you can set absolute positions in the buttons and UI. You can also set it to, um, like you just put it in a certain, uh, I forget what it was, like um, like weight and stuff for a table, for example. And then that will that will um, change for a different resolution. Does it work? Yeah, like based, depending on the resolution. Yeah. One thing to watch out for, though, is if you go from uh, 1080 to 4K, it things can get tiny, writing can get yeah. tiny and stuff like that. So you gotta, some things scale well, some things don't scale well. I keep all, I keep virtually everything in 1080p HD when I'm making panels, mostly because they're running on a dedicated screen for it. So it, it helps just to, to really position things. A lot of times it's like you're running the show, if the button's here and the next button's over here, it takes a lot of time. So you really want, like I really try and get down exactly, you know, you're pushing this button and this push button and I want them close. But it's a touch screen, so we don't want them too close because my fingers are big, and I don't want to like accidentally. And so it's designed so it's, to work full, scale, full but, screen, uh, but different resolutions. Yeah, so different They're resolutions. It will scale per resolution, but again, some things are kind of wonky. Like text gets really, really tiny, whereas mm. the buttons will scale properly to the right size, unless they fixed it since then. But everything will generally scale if you don't use any absolute sizes it will just scale automatically. Gotcha. And people do it all the time. They put in a little window that's like in the top corner of the screen, just a part of the panel, the couple buttons they need or something like that. And it'll just scale down to those little buttons and then. And, and you could theoretically, you know, you can put a button over top of something so you have live video coming in, but make that a button. Like you can just tap on, I see that live NDI feed and I'm just going to tap on it and, and pull it from there. Yeah. So yeah. that was one of the things like Bo showed, he's got his example of the NDI feed. So you can put a button, but you can also put just uh, like an abs, which is uh, just an empty kind of right. panel thing. You can make them see-through, same as buttons, they're clear. So you can you can have your multi-viewer with your NDI and you can have each one be a button and each one do a whole bunch of different stuff when you click on it. And I actually built that for uh, for one of the customers. They're running event centers in their corporate buildings all over the world. Yep. And they wanted to get it down. So they have an audio person, camera person, lighting person. They wanted one panel, one person. So that was one of the things was they have it, you know, they've got the overlay, the multi-viewer, and each one of them is buttons. So yeah. you can, depending on what you're doing, it's like you push the preview, it'll put in the program. Yeah, you know, especially, or, especially or when I'm presenting. Like a lot of times for me when I'm presenting, um, I have a I have a tool that I built that's a little more rudimentary than the one that you have. And and I can look down at it and just tap on the screen and go, okay, I want that input. Um, because And it's the live video of that so that I don't have to, think about it. You know, I'm trying to reduce internal processing of figuring out what, what input I'm in and just tap on that to have it go. And it looks like that would be very doable. Um, yeah, Mitchell, you have a question before we go to the other Yeah, one? real quick one. Uh, Matt, I love doing UIs. I'm a lousy coder. And I just want to hear it again coming from you. You're okay with uh, designing any code that uh, somebody may submit to you with a uh, design? So far, we have not been restricted. So, I mean, people, we do big big companies. They like the branding. 
So we will get, we can get very, very custom and make it look really, really pretty. Or it could be just like the gray with a couple buttons. I mean, it all depends what you want to do. Doing a rudimentary one. So just adding some color and stuff to your buttons and everything is pretty easy. I mean, you literally just go in and go to the style tab, add some color. Um, if you want to get fancy, you can. So it, it's all depending on what you want to do with it. I mean, people like a lot of colors. Oftentimes they don't really like fancy. The corporate people like fancy. They like it to be branded so that when the execs come in, they see the screen, they see it because, you know, it's in the event center, it's in the back of the room. Whereas a lot of the the producer or the TV places, they just don't care. They just want buttons and they want them very clear. This one's red, this one's bright green, this one's pink. So I don't even have to read the buttons. I just see them and push it, you know? So it's it's very easy to just design things like that. And I mean, you can make it pretty both. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Mitch. Yeah, you design it, and uh, and we'll get Matt to build. You know, make it work. Uh, it's Matt's the guy that I call when I can't do, figure out how to do something in dashboard. He makes it work. Do you do you, and do you? Um, a lot of times, people just send you like they'll go into something and just lay out like this is where I want all the keys, and this is what I want the keys to do, and they just. And that, I, I imagine that speeds things up for you a lot. Yep. <laughs> I, just have these are the functions that each key has. Yeah. So when people come to us, it's basically either they come to us knowing nothing, and they're just like, "We got all this equipment." Okay. And then we'll right. figure something out, how to tie it together, whether it can talk, we'll program up all the APIs, we'll build a, a thing for them. Or right. they come to us with a big document with screens of exactly how it wants to look. And then we go, thank you. <laughs> that makes life so <laughs> yeah, much exactly. easier. Exactly. It's fun to be creative, but when they've got a plan already, it's a lot easier. Yeah. So yeah, people will just make one up in whatever program they want off and just send us a PDF done in Photoshop. Sometimes yeah. they'll just Photoshop dashboard and start putting buttons and moving them around and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, so we can build it off anything. We can build it off a design. We've been able to build every design that anyone's ever given us. We can build them from scratch. We don't really care. That's great. It, it, from scratch takes longer, cost you more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> just, it, just, it just adds up. Uh, let's go to the next question. Uh, next question in for Michael Graves in Houston, Texas. Michael's asking... Was the software created by Ross in-house or brought in originally? Go ahead, Bo. Created by Ross. I, yeah, I think it, it predates me. But And, and yep. to be clear, me and Matt are not on the dashboard development team as in creating the software. Um, those That's another team in Ross that makes that dog food. And we are just on a, in a group that eats that dog food. So yeah. <laughs> we, the service we use dashboard group. every day. Yeah. We're, we're internal customers to Ross. So technically we consume Ross products and we do things with them, but we don't make the Ross. Having said that though, I do actually work with the dashboard team all the time. I've helped them put stuff in there. I've helped the hardware guys with some of their code. I'm, I'm a programmer background. So, so yeah, we, we built it up. It's made out of Java. We started it from scratch a long time ago. Uh, it's one guy, James Pelter, I think, uh, from Ross. He was the main brain behind it and our CTO long time ago. I don't even know if he was CTO at the time. Him and James kind of wrote the whole thing together. And yeah, so it's fully internal. It's fully, it's, it's internal, but it works with open gear. So I don't know how much you guys know about open gear, but that's open and that protocol. I mean, you can just get information about it and everything, but yeah, the, you know, I, I think that it's that we always talk about the you know, the power if a if a brand understands it is to commoditize the things that aren't that aren't key to their income and then control the things that are. And I think it looks like you know between Open Gear and this, Ross has gotten really good at commoditizing this thing. Like we're not going to you know we're not going to have you make um, we don't need to make money on that. We just need everyone to use it. Um, and then and then really focusing on the things that that do set you apart. Um, and I mean, Ross is a hardware company, right? Like yeah, in yeah. 
I mean, we're software a little bit, but in the end, it's mainly a hardware company. So this is, it's a good way to have a control interface that's easy to use and everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next question. Jack Cannon in Phoenix, Arizona asks, is there a marketplace for pre-built modules or a user forum? So we are actually very shortly going to be starting to put up pages in our Shopify, not going to say Spotify this time, Shopify uh, shop. For our team, so basically we make some pages, we make some panels, for example, for our little ultra touches, and we can just sell them out of the thing. So you could technically make a panel and sell it if you wanted to. Anyone can. There's no rules against it. Make yourself a key pro or a hyperdeck or something panel that people can just then buy off you. It is open though. These are just text files. So the dot grid file is just a text file. All JavaScript and everything in it is open. So once you sell it to someone, they can then turn around and start selling it on you. And there's not really much protection around there. It's very, very open. So we've been talking to a lot of us have been that work with nodal compositors that nodal compositors do the same thing where you can concatenate everything together and or, you know, and pull it all together. And I've always thought that there is this massive business of I can build something, encrypt it and then sell it. And it just has the in and outs that I gave you. And I can, and, and I feel like that marketplace is an untapped, you know, for many things, you know, for many companies, uh, because you'd end up with people who can make money just sitting there thinking of cool things rather than just making it for themselves. You know, right now they, everyone yep. just does, is really sharing what they know, or even if they sell it, the problem is, as you said, it's open. So there's, they're well, also selling all their secret sauce. You can encrypt and password protect it. So it's just simple encryption. It's not the most protected, mm-hmm. but you can encrypt and password protect. And we do that with several of our panels. But my team, we we build, we sell the source code to the to the, the yeah, customers, yeah. so they can they can protect it if they want. But yeah, you can make a panel, you can protect it, you can sell it all you want. Some hacker could yeah. probably break into it. They're probably not going to because what's the point? I mean, yeah. people buy it for convenience. It's not that big of a business. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely yeah, exactly. do that. There are people that do that out there. There's a whole yeah. bunch of dashboard people. You can also just do custom jobs for people. Right. Instead of building and selling a panel, do what we do, but on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bo. Yeah, you can, uh, two things. You can find, if you just kind of Google around, you can find a good many GitHub pages that have uh, panels up that people have made in, in different interfaces to different blinds and, you know, all kind of, you know, lighting uh, outlets and all kind of things. Um, I mean, it's basically <clears throat> other- like a free version. I mean, if you put the hardware together, it's, it's basically does pretty much everything that a Crestron would do. I mean, is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. that's one yeah, of the things that we uh, we're playing around with a lot right now. So, like, we work with Crestron. Mm-hmm. We can also, depending on what's in the room, we can you can have a room that has Crestron controlling some stuff. Dashboard right. and Crestron can talk together. Crestron right. can control everything. Dashboard can also control everything. Um, big difference there is it's really expensive to hire a Crestron developer. Mm-hmm. Um, you can build your own dashboard stuff. It's open. So that's that's one of the kind of differences there. Yeah. But there are no modules like Crestron where you can just buy the modules and just right. put them in like Crestron has. So there's, you know, there's 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 good and bad, but it's basically the same thing. Yeah. So it's control software that can control anything. You just make your own modules. Next question. And then Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill, before we jump. No, just just to finish up on the, the, the last part of that question, user forums. There is, uh, Ross has user forums. It's called like Living Live Community. You can find it on the Ross Video website. And there is a, a dashboard uh, forum in there. And, you know, depending on your question, a lot of times James hangs out in the dashboard, the original developer, and he'll answer your question if, uh, if one of us don't get to it first. That's awesome. Uh, next question. 
Chris Sabato, Albany, Oregon, asking, is there a built-in method for accessing a dashboard from the public internet, or do you have to set up a VPN? VPN, it depends how you want to set it up. So you can make a TCP connection in dashboard. So TCP connections, the base of most networking stuff. So you, it's the same as with any building. Trying to get something coming into a building is not the easiest through the network, network security, IT. You know, depending on how big your company is, there's going to be more security and less likely to be allowed to do it. Um, it's a lot easier over VPN. You get local access going out of a building. So, for example, like a web browser who makes a connection to a page and then, you know, back and forth, easy. So I've, I've done it several times where I've got an AWS instance in the cloud that is doing something to do with data or has a, a web page or something. And Dashboard will make an outgoing TCP connection to that that you can then use back and forth to send from that web server to Dashboard and back. And we did that with, uh, there was like a boxing thing that we did at one point. So basically the boxers, they punch, it's like a video game that we made, but with real people, punch sensors in their gloves, that data goes there and I pushed it all up to the web server web server betting company, betting company would push things back down, like odds and stuff like that, that you can then display in the dashboard. So you can make that back and forth if you know a little bit about Node and or, or something along those lines to make servers. But if you just want raw connection coming in, I mean, if it's your house, yeah, toss it in the uh, port forwarding in your router, good to go. If it's an IT department, maybe talk to them first. <laughs> go ahead, Bob. Bo. Yeah, it, and it kind of depends on what you're trying to do because most of what we're talking about right now with Dashboard is just custom panels that are controlling devices. Um, so if you're just sending a, a trigger or receiving a trigger, that's easy to do with you know a VPN or um, like we've I've used Cloudflare tunnels or zero tier, you know, a lot of different ways to just open one port or get one port back and forth um, to to a different network. Um, Dashboard, we haven't really talked about this use case of Dashboard, but Dashboard is also, like Matt said, Ross is a, a lot of a hardware company. So Dashboard is the user interface. It's the software component to a lot of Ross's hardware. So, you know, I have a hardware switcher and a hardware router downstairs in my rack. And Dashboard is how I access the settings and the, and the you know, all the, the parameters that are contained within that. So getting all of that data from those, you know, from to control all of your hardware, that's a much heavier connection than than just sending a TCP trigger. Um, so, Dashboard has implemented like a proxy server to make it easier to go across the the wide area network, but it's a little trickier to set up. But as far as just triggering something, a button in the cloud or a button, you know, at home to trigger each other, it's it's really easy to do using a VPN or you know any of the other tunneling methods. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, Courtney. Uh, for triggering IoT devices like um, uh, IoT lights or blinds or things like that, does is it matter compatible? Does it have a matter output uh, for that protocol? It would depend on what the, the device has. So if the device has some sort of open protocol, which most things do at this point, yeah, you can control it and you can, you can make it do things. There's if it doesn't have an open protocol, then you're kind of... And I think I think matter's open, but it, it probably it's new enough that you might need a parser, you know, to go from from one to the other. You may need a parser. So a lot of things take JSON now, which is really nice. Just rest calls with JSON. 
Um, a lot of things are just a string of bytes. So you got to figure out which bytes to send. You know, some things are just text character strings. So it all depends on what the device is looking for as far as a connection. Um, you can also do GPIOs. So for example, if you've got a GPI, you know, well, you might need some sort of GPI hardware in between. But I mean, at that point, it's just you tell it, it fires off, you know, it puts the pins lower, higher resistance or whatever. So it, it all depends on the device. Every device is different. But most devices that I run into now have an API. It's either open or you buy it off the company. And with that, you can do anything the device will let you do. And um, I'm sorry, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent. It runs on the Mac, right? It, it does. It runs pretty well on a Mac. Kind of, sort of. Yes. There we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mac, Linux, and, and Windows. Does it C siphon? Do you know? No. Okay. No, I think they. I think the most recent update to dashboard does have NDI five, but it does not have Siphon. Yeah, I was thinking about a solution. <laughs> uh, next, next question from Marty Ateas in Maryland, asking how much can non-programmers do with dashboard? Well, that's the beauty of the visual part. Um, you don't actually have to be a programmer. So uh, Bo had showed, and I showed how to put the. Uh, just to open a file. So there's a file read. You just drag the block in, put your file name in there. Bo showed how to make a TCP connection. So you just drag a TCP connection block in there, put your IP, put your command you're going to send. And so if you're not a programmer, you can get pretty far. I mean, you just use visual logic. And I mean, you tie the, put the arrows to the other spot. I mean, you guys, if you've done anything, lots mm -hmm. of things have visual logic. So you're probably used to that. Yep. So there's both. So you, and if you make a function in, in an API, it will also become a visual logic block. So you can have someone who is good at JavaScript write you up a function, and then you stick it in an API, and now you've got it as a visual logic block. You can pull in, and you're good to go again, and you don't need to be a programmer. Next question. Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana, asking, you mentioned lights. Does this control DMX as well? Um, well, look at my face. Look at it. See, oh, look at how purple that is. So that's through but EOS. How's that working? So, how's, how's that getting from your dashboard to the lights? See if I can. So there's the light back there. And that's a D and DMX control. Here's a touch screen that I've got right here. If I can get my camera proper. So here's a touch screen I've got right here. So this controls my room. The room's not fully set up yet. But for example, you know, it's blue. Or I can, right. you know, green, green things up. Or I can go, you know. Like and how is it sending those commands? Uh, What's that? What's the logic that it uses to send those commands? So what it's what it's doing is it is sending to EOS. You guys don't want to see my chest there. So I've got an EOS gadget. So that's the DMX to uh, USB that goes into a laptop that is running um, just EOS, et cetera, software. So EOS, you'll have EOS, et cetera. You might have like Paradigm or something. You, you might have just a full hardware controller. You might just have the software. You send commands to that, it does the DMX. So it doesn't natively do DMX, but virtually right. every lighting controller out there takes usually OSC strings. Right. So if you could do OSC at all, you could do it. And you can also do it through companion. I mean, put your OSC in there if you don't know how to do OSC API, and you can just trigger those through dashboard as well. That's great. So next, you, question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. next question. And it's from Matthias Utilia from Helsinki, Finland, asking, is there a clear list for supported devices, for example, with no coding knowledge, what kind of production gear I can start using without custom code writing? 
raw stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. There's a few other ones like a Panasonic camera. Hello to Helsinki. I was just there back in November working at uh, one of the TV stations there. So that, that was that was a fun trip. My first time ever there. Um, so yeah, so it's got Ross, Ross gear integrated into it. You can just pull those devices in. Some other things like uh, Panasonic PTZ camera, um, it'll integrate with joysticks and stuff. But for the most part, hardware, it, there's so many devices out there. It's It would be hard to build mm-hmm. things in and then it would end up being expensive like Crestron and everything. So basically, it's just open, and if you can write the code, write the code. And like Bo said, there's a ton of forums out there that have, like, people have already written it up. I mean, I work for Ross. We do this. And I took my Azure, my first uh, AJA Keypro code out of one of the forums that someone had just, hey, I figured out how to do it. So I just copied their forum post and then, like, modified it up since then. But right. there's a ton of uh, just control code out there. Yeah. Yeah. Bo? Yeah, the only other thing I'll add is uh, early, I think early in the pandemic, one of our guys put a, a, a zip file of a ton of different kind of starter panels to show you all the different things that Dashboard can do um, up on the forum. So if if anybody wants access to that, I'll send you a link. Just hit me up in Discord. And, um, you know, it's it's a whole list of things just to show you an example panel of how you would import a file or how you would make a button change color, or, you know, just all kind of uh, fun things. So anybody that wants to play around, just just hit me up in Discord and I'll send you a link. Sounds great. Uh, next question. Paul Buchan from Columbus, Ohio, has a question. One feature that I love is how simple it is to grab components from existing devices. For example, Carbonite. Can you show that? Go ahead, Bo. Yeah, so I had just a few seconds to get this set up. So you, this is, uh, so what I was talking about earlier, if you look on the left side of my screen here, it's probably kind of small, but you can see these are all the ROS devices that I have on my network. So these just automatically show up. It, it recognizes that these are local to my network. So it sees that I have a uh, open gear frame with some cards in it. I have a uh, Carbonite Ultra, a Ross Ultrix, and then a Carbonite Ultra. So this is the virtual panel. So to show to show you what Paul's look, talking about, um, so this is essentially a virtual version of what my switcher is doing right now, and it's fully operational. So if I were to you know change from Zoom ISO input one to Zoom ISO input two, that would happen on program right now. So you know I think y'all are all very familiar with that in the Black Magic world. It's very similar. Um, the cool thing that that Paul's mentioning, if I just drag this panel over here. On the right-hand side, you can see that this is my custom panel that I started building earlier. So I can literally just go down here, and if I wanted to, instead of, earlier I wrote the code to do this, but uh, if I put this in edit mode, put this in edit mode, I can drag the cut button from one panel to the other one, and now it's just there, and it'll do the thing. So and for all the Ross hardware, it already has this built into it. So correct. it'll just come with everything that you would want in a dashboard, and, and you're just simply just dragging those buttons over to whatever you want to use. So you could open this up, kind of pre-build. Oh, I just want these buttons, these buttons, these buttons, and I don't want the rest of it. And you just build your own. Yep, yep. and, and, and like in a health and worship as well. So if like in a health and worship scenario. Yeah, sorry, Matt. In a house of worship scenario, we see a lot of times like volunteers, they just want to give somebody the buttons they need. So you give them the cut button and the, you know, the the button to turn the the lower third on and off and that's all they need. So that's right. what you give them on their panel and that's all they get. So it's it's very customizable in that way. That's great. Uh, next question. From Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois. 
Can more than one instance of dashboard, even running on different platforms, control and override commands for a device? Yes. <laughs> so you, you can have it, just be careful. So for example, if you've got two people in two different spots running the same thing, you know, let's say camera presets, and it's the same show, you can screw things up. But yes, we've got, so we, we even have it set up with some customers where they'll have a studio, say, in, I don't know, Sydney. Australia, but then the the people running it are actually sitting in New York City, or there might be someone, or there might be a studio in New York, one in Paris, and one in the UK, and then the guy running it's in in Sydney. So they'll be able to log in there from either multiple locations to control one studio through VPN or elsewhere. Oftentimes, we'll have multiple panels open in in the same spot. So you might have a couple different rooms that have the same panel running, so that you can say turn the lights on and off. So this, you know, like the kitchen has, there's a bank that we did. The kitchen's got a panel. The studio's got a panel. The podcast room's got a panel. All of them allow you to just turn the lights on and off in whatever room and then set the studio up for whatever room. So you can have multiple instances of the same panel. You can have the panels talk to each other, make a TCP connection and have them talk to each other so that if you press off on one, the other one lights up the off button and it knows. Or you can just be dumb panels with buttons. So yeah, you can have you you can connect it to multiple panels to the same device, no problem at all. Hey, go ahead, Bo. Yeah, um, a while back we were talking about fly kits, and one of the things that I always put in my fly kits, I usually put in two or three nooks in there, just so that I can team view into those computers, have those computers running dashboard. So I'm not really running dashboard across a VPN. I'm locally controlling dashboard on a PC that's local to the network, and I'm just rem remoting into that machine. So that's that's the typical use case we'll see that uh, TV stations or, or people use when, they're, when they have remote operators. Um, now, this screen, like I showed you earlier, you know, for, for the Ross hardware stuff, you know, when I click, uh, you know, when I put ISO one in, in program, that's going to be reflected across all dashboards talking to this machine. So it's it, it's not like it would get in a funky state where one person thought that something else was in program. You know, that it's bidirectional where that info would travel to all those dashboards that that are controlling that. And this gets where you could you this is this gets where it gets important to give everybody different potentially give everybody different interfaces. Like you might have someone who's in at at central control that is is saying, oh, I want to change any of the dashboards. But when you hand it to different operators, I know when we build a lot of this custom stuff, we try to separate those out so that very rarely do both people have the same button for the same thing. You know, like they, you know, we we split that up and you can see how easy it is. We can just grab things. We can build this 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 new grid grab a bunch of stuff from that main interface, set it all up the way they need it, and then grab other parts of it and put it somewhere else into another grid and relatively easily, you know, separate those those controls out. It's really, really Yeah, and there have been times, if there are times where I'm nervous that somebody, you know, that somebody's going to control something where I, I don't mean for them to, there there is a way to kind of have a running log and there's a debug mode or, or a debug window where you can just write stuff to lo to to the log and so i'll always kind of have a little uh, snippet in there that tells me who pushed the button that did the thing <laughs> so i know right. where that command came from right right <laughs> next question next question is coming in from tommy shantz in st paul minnesota tommy asks can you set up a ross synergy 100 video switcher surface with dashboard do we know uh we'll have to get back to you on that I is that an old? Yeah, it's an older switcher, but dashboard's been around. 
I think so. I'm not sure if you'll be able to get that same switcher panel view like I was just showing you with the Carbonite. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can get back to you, though. Next yeah, question. you'd probably have to build your own panel and right. then send whatever commands over to it that needs to be sent or modify the params, but uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, ne <laughs> maybe. Next question. Dave Troutman in Edmonton, Canada. Can we get the classic Ross Vision Mixer lighted buttons on the interface? So I guess the question there is, so you can drag those those buttons out, but the, the question is, can you put images in for all this? So if someone wanted it to look pretty and have different images for every state, you could, you could do that, right? I mean, if you really wanted to make it look realistic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I... I don't know exactly what he's asking there. It might be. I think, I think that the idea is, is could you have it be look like the Ross switcher with the, you know, so if you had the hardware buttons and everything else, you'd have little, a little, them, them really look realistic. And can you have, can you like when you, the state right now changes the color, could it change a picture? So it can say, I have this picture up when it's on in off, I click on it and it goes red and now it looks like a red uh, button you know, that's, that's lit. Can it swap those images out when you, when they're in different states? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I can, I can, uh, I'll pull something up. Uh, this gets back into to, what Matt was talking about with the, show you. uh, for clients like, Oh, look at the pretty thing. Yeah. It looks like the yeah. thing. And you know, so that, that might be more of the, <laughs> yeah, this gets back yeah, into you know, client facing versus production facing, uh, requirements. Um, but I think in, in some ways it also might help, you know, folks that are used to the piece of hardware going, oh, I know exactly. I mean, I think that most of the placement is all that's necessary, but it might might make them feel warm. And all pleasant. right, here, here we go. I've got a little something I can show you. Uh, so this is, it's not a perfect example, but down here at the bottom, mm -hmm. uh, you can see my machine control. So this is a scenario where when I click a button, I want it to send a command, and this is where I'm telling it to go. So right. which con computers I'm enabling it, to, mm -hmm. where, where I'm telling it to send the command and which computers I'm not. So if I wanted to send that command to all the computers I have, then I you know click those buttons, light them up. You see the chain link kind of goes solid there. So yes, you can easily make buttons into uh, you, you know you can add photos to to buttons and yeah. make them kind of specific to what you want to do. That's great. Now, next question. Next one in from Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois. Kenny asks. Will a command from one instant of dashboard send an indication, light, et cetera, to another instance to ensure current status? I think we covered that a little bit, but the but it does. They're all updated, right? They're all they're showing the current state. Yeah, you if get that you for free. One, what's that? Yeah, yeah if you get that for free the, with uh, the like dashboard. soft panel on the carbonite, then that will automatically happen. If you're building your own panel, you would have to do that yourself. So you'd have to make a something that talks to the other instance of the panel that says do something. But any any built-in panels reflect the hardware state on a constant basis. So like Carbonite or Alteryx or anything like that would always, any any instance running will always show whatever the hardware is running. So, I mean, you could build your panel like that too. Build your panel to always get status from the hardware and then you could do that. You can build your panel to talk back and forth. Right. But uh, yeah, a lot of it you have to do the custom stuff unless it's Ross gear. You would have to custom, you'd have to do that yourself. You're going to say something, Bo? 
Same thing. And, uh, yeah, just following up on what Matt said, if you're custom doing something, then you can build in listeners. Like, for instance, you know, I had built a kind of a proof of concept Zoom ISO, uh, you know, so where it's listening from Zoom ISO to hear who the active speaker is, you know, to see, you know, and that that name pops up on the dashboard. So you can you can do bidirectional communication pretty easily. Um, you know, it's it's not. Uh, it's not as easy as just the visual logic blocks necessarily. You have to kind of put some thought into it and maybe dig into code a little bit, but it's very doable. Next question. Albi Lopez from San Antonio, Texas. Does this control aperture situs lights? I believe it's through Bluetooth. What solution for Bluetooth to TCIP? Thank you. So it probably doesn't do it natively, but how would you, if you were, if someone asked you to do that, how would you kind of approach that? So what I would do is, so there's no native Bluetooth support and dashboard. So you can't hook up to a dashboard right. natively. But I bet you if I do a real quick Google search, I can find something that will take a Ethernet cable in or Wi-Fi and will send Bluetooth out. Right. So then again, it depends on uh, like that device, whether you can find that device and whether it will work with whatever you're trying to do. But there's no native Bluetooth itself connectivity. Right. So it depends what you're sending over the Bluetooth and what it's using to receive it. Fantastic. Um, Matt and Bo, this has been awesome. <laughs> awesome hour of, uh, of, of really going. I, you know, I think that, you know, Bo has shown, shown us this a little bit here and there and, in, you know, in, in after hours. And, and uh, we just really wanted to bring you guys on and, and take a look at it a little bit and, and, and dig into it a little deeper. I'm hoping that we can put together some labs, uh, you, know, inside, you know, in after hours where I might get, some, get you guys to come together. We'll think of like a specific mission that we're all going to try to put together and something rel- maybe start off simple. But um, I think it. I think it's a really powerful tool, and I think that regardless of whether we're using the Ross hardware, we know it's easier to use it with the Ross hardware. But but I, it, you know the idea that we could control. I was thinking I, I have some stuff in my pool. I was like, it'd be good to turn that, be able to turn those things on and off, build my own little uh, controller for it. Um, so uh, so anyway, uh, I think that those um, it's it's really really extensible. You know, and I, I think that what really opened it up for me is all those libraries that you showed, you know, see, realizing that there's OSC handlers and all these other handlers that we can add. And then it's just a matter of now it's just buttons, you know, that we can send out those commands. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great. Really, really great to have you. Yeah, um, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks a lot. We might bring you back. <laughs> have you talk about some more stuff? It's really, really fascinating. Uh, yeah. thank, thanks so much to the, um, to the uh, producers uh, for all the great questions, keeping this, uh, these hours going. Uh, thanks to the panelists. Can't do this without you, of course. And thanks to the incredible team, uh, this, the small village that gets up every day, seven days a week to run the show uh, from all over the world. We really appreciate all your work. Um, we, um, we have, we've traveled a little bit of ways. Uh, you know, we had a lot of people in a lot of different places, um, this, this week and we travel or this, today we traveled 129,000 miles between all the people asking questions and answering questions. We traveled a hundred, it would have been, a, we would have gotten to one K in, in two hours, which is pretty impressive. Uh, 207,000 kilometers, uh, 1.168 billion bananas for scale. So, um, so anyway, so just, just to kind of keep all those things straight. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours. This is where people start whispering. You whispered, I tell Mitch, I saw your hand, but I was already in the landing sequence. I was like, I don't I don't know where to go from there. I can't hear you if you're whispering though. <laughs> well, <laughs> you talk louder. Is that a button on the dashboard? They'll whisper. <laughs> 
the whisper button. Exactly. <laughs> Just turn it up. Exactly. <laughs> We're not Raw's audio. <laughs> well, Sinky thing I talked about was all audio. Full <laughs> audio panel. Audio mixer. Yeah, you know, we like we like our audio. All right, here we go. Thanks, guys.